Right, today's reading comes from Matthew chapter 21, verses 33 to 46. I'll just give you a moment if you'd like to turn to that in your own Bibles. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and went away on a journey. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. The tenants seized his servants. They beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Then he sent other servants to them, more than the first time, and the tenants treated them in the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? He will bring those wretches to a wretched end, they replied, and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants, who will give him his share of the crop of har- at harvest time. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures, The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvellous in our eyes. Therefore I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. He who falls on his stone will be broken to pieces, but he on whom it falls will be crushed. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. They looked for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet. This is the gospel of Christ. Please stand for our next song of worship. Father, we thank you uh, so much for your kindness to us. Father, thank you that you're the God who provides for us, who is patient with us, uh, but you're also the God who is just towards us. And uh, that's probably the thing we we struggle with the most, uh, the thing that we're prone to ignoring. Uh, So we pray you'd help us to understand that deeper this morning uh, and to trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to start with a question this morning. Put your hand up if you've heard of the one-man strip. I see no hands. I see a number of uh, concerned faces. Uh, it's, it's not as dodgy as it sounds. Uh, it's, a, it's a play that happens in rugby league from time to time. Uh, it's when one player strips the ball uh, from the opposition player without any help from his teammates. And it's a lot harder than it sounds. Uh, It hardly ever happens, but it's one of the the best plays when it does happen. Uh, A great example of it happened in in 2012. Uh, A player named Ben Murdoch-Masilla had the ball over the try line. Uh, He was on the edge of glory, about to score, and all he had to do was was put it down. But in came Anthony Minicello from the side, and he managed to somehow strip the ball away in, in one of the most audacious plays that you'll ever see. In the blink of an eye, Masilla went from the edge of glory to being empty-handed and wondering what had just taken place. Uh, This morning we're looking at a parable that also portrays a sudden stripping away of what appears certain. The religious leaders of Israel, the people we expect to be close to God, people who act as though they're closer to God than others, 
people who act like gatekeepers to God's kingdom. In this passage, we see that that their false confidence is about to be rocked. Everything that God has given them is about to be stripped away. Well, we're uh, continuing in, in Matthew this morning, looking at this parable, which is often referred to as the parable of tenants. Uh, and let me give you a little bit of a, a back of the backstory. Uh, Jesus is in Jerusalem, and just three days he, he's about to head to the cross to be crucified. Uh, he's currently at the temple, teaching and, and speaking directly to the elders, the, the chief priests, and the Pharisees, uh, the religious leaders of the day. And he, he speaks to them in these parables. Uh, we saw one last week, we, we see a second one today, and next week we'll look at the third parable in a row that Jesus uses. Uh, you'll remember that, that parables are stories that reveal something about, about God's kingdom. Uh, and all three of the parables where, that we get in this section speak of the spiritual state of Israel. Uh, as, as Ollie mentioned earlier, it speaks of their hearts. And they allude to the leadership in Israel, these, these parables, as uh, being one of the big parts, that, that, sorry, the leadership in Israel is one of the big parts of the problem. Now what we'll do this morning, uh, we'll work our way through the passage and hopefully it'll give us a bit of a clearer understanding and then we'll think about three particular things that this parable shows us. Uh, And as we do uh, those things, the the passage invites us to be considering the way we're living in this world that God has given us. Uh, The parable begins with, uh, and, and we're introduced, sorry, the parable begins and we're introduced to a landowner who planted a vineyard. The process of of looking for a flat isn't always easy. Uh, Apart from the obvious uh, search for decent flatmates, sometimes you'll find a place which looks great in the photos, uh, but you turn up and find the photos were taken 10 years ago and the place isn't close to what it once was. Uh, Hopefully you work out before signing the tenancy agreement, but you feel a little bit duped by landlords for for misrepresenting the place. But that's certainly certainly not the case with this vineyard because the vineyard that this landlord is renting out uh, is actually as good, if not better, than the photo would suggest. Uh, the guy has prepared the place so well, and I imagine it's a, it's a much bigger job uh, getting a vineyard fit for purpose than it is getting a house ready to be rented out. But this landowner spares no expense. He puts a wall around the vineyard, uh, a wall to offer protection from, from wild animals and perhaps thieves, Uh, He digs a wine press so that come harvest time, uh, there's one less thing for the tenants to worry about when they prepare the wine. And what's more, he even builds a watchtower to allow for even more protection uh, should any danger come near. And he does all this work in in getting the vineyard ready. Uh, I once stayed with a a family who who owned an orchard and also leased it out to tenants. And it seemed like a a massive operation just to, to get things up and running at a very basic level. But in this parable, the landowner goes the extra mile. This, this guy is the dream landlord, exactly what a, a tenant is after. So he's prepared the vineyard, and it's ready to be leased out to some of the farmers as he heads on his way. Now, time passes by, the tenants have settled in, and before you know it, harvest time has arrived. And the landowner, the landowner realises it's time to collect his share of the harvest as part of the rental agreement, uh, which I understand would would have been a a common thing back then. So he sends his servants to go and collect it. But the tenants don't play ball. For some reason, they don't want to to give the owner what he's entitled to. They want all the fruit to themselves. 
So they seized the servants, beating one, killing another, and stoning the third. Now after this, the landowner just sends more servants, even more than the first time, perhaps thinking if there are more numbers, maybe they'll, they'll give in. But once again, the tenants treat the second lot of servants the same way, uh, beating some, killing others, and stoning the remainder. Now after this, this second incident, surely he's going to go to the authorities, or, uh, because, I mean, this is, this is murder, or maybe the next stop is, is the tenancy tribunal for some sort of mediation and hopefully an eviction, but, but not this landowner. What, what he does next seems illogical to us. He decides at this point to send his son. He tells himself, they will respect my son, uh, which to us seems, seems very strange. Now you can just picture the tenants in the watchtower one day. Uh, one of them spots a man approaching, and they recognise that it's the son. This is the heir, they say. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. And that's exactly what they do. They throw him out of his father's vineyard, the place that he's supposed to inherit, and they end his life. Now just, just step back for a moment. Jesus is speaking. The, the chief priests and the Pharisees are, are gathered around. They hang on every word he says. And he continues, Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? And leaders are, the leaders are, are taken by the story. They sense the injustice of it all. And they answer, He will bring those wretches to a wretched end, and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crops. See, they understand how unjust the situation is, and they, and they know exactly what those tenants deserve. Now, now, at this point, Jesus gives us his take on the parable. Uh, there are three key verses there, verses 42, 43, and 44. And each verse tells us something of the meaning behind the parable. Uh, firstly, verse 42, and, and Jesus takes our mind from the vineyard to the building site. And he asks the leaders another question. Have you never read the scriptures? The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Uh, which is a, a quote from Psalm 118. The rejected stone has, has become the capstone. Uh, now, a capstone is like a, a crowning stone. It, it marks completion. It marks prominence. Uh, universities borrow the word from time to time. I think a, a capstone project is, is like a culminating work, synthesizing all that you've learned. Uh, I remember having to do one in my final year of study. Uh, and if I'd known then that it was supposed to be this, this prominent piece of work, I might have started a bit sooner. Uh, now, in a, in a similar fashion, the builders here fail to recognize the prominence of, of the capstone before them. And as Jesus mentions the capstone, he's referring to himself, because he is the one who is being rejected by these leaders. And even though they, they reject him, God will raise him to the place of prominence, to the highest honor. And like the capstone on a building, it will be a marvellous sight to behold. Jesus elevated above all, all others. So that's the, the first thing Jesus says about the parable. Uh, the second is there in, in verse 43, as Jesus goes back to the vineyard. Therefore I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce fruits. Now sometimes you, you can have conversations with people and, and someone will tell you a story and you can't work out what the link is to what you've been saying. Uh, and you, you could easily think that's the case between verses 42 and, and 43. Uh, it's almost as if it's quite hard to see the link. 
But, but thankfully, there's that word, therefore, at the start of verse, verse 43. Uh, therefore, it's a great help. Because it shows us what, what happens in this verse, 43, is, is a consequence of what has already taken place in verse 42. It links those two verses. So he's, Jesus is saying, you have rejected me, therefore, or, or the consequence of that is, God's kingdom is going to be taken away from you and given to a people who are going to produce fruit. Now, the third and final thing that Jesus says about the parable is there in verse 44. He's gone back to talking about the stone from the building site again. He who falls on the stone will be broken to pieces, but he on whom it falls will be crushed. It brings to mind the words of Isaiah 8, where where God is alluded to as this stone that causes men to stumble and as a rock that makes them fall. Meaning for those who who stumble over Jesus, rejecting him, as they've done, there will be devastating consequences. And in verse 45, the chief priests and the Pharisees, they realise that that Jesus is once again talking about them. This this parable probably reminds them of of another passage in, in Isaiah 5 where a vineyard is used to describe the coming judgment. Now Jesus' last parable was directed at them and once again they're on the receiving end. And they want to arrest Jesus. But like last week we're reminded, they fear people more than they fear God. Now what are the lessons that that this parable uh, has to teach us uh, here this morning? Well there are three things that the parable shows us. Firstly it shows us that, that God provides. For he is like the landowner who has gone out of his way to accommodate his chosen people. None more so than the religious leaders. He has given them all they need to produce fruit among the Israelites and to draw the surrounding peoples to God. Uh, There are many difficult moments in life that that people have to go through and endure. And and in these moments, we can often end up focusing our attention on everything that we don't have. When we go through tough times, we can end up focusing on on what we don't have. And at those times, it's actually helpful for us to be able to call to mind Instances where the Bible shows us that that God is the one who provides for his people. That he gives us all we need to be able to follow him faithfully in this world. Uh, You and I both know that it doesn't mean that life will be a breeze, but it does mean that that we can live as he wants us to live, no no matter the situation. He's given us his, his word to instruct us. He's given us his son to redeem us, and he's given us his spirit to strengthen us. Uh, Verse 33 is one example of God's provision, and it's a good prompt for us uh, to remember other ways in which we see God's provision on a daily basis, ways that we too often skip over if we're not intentional enough. Now, alongside God's provision, we also see that God is patient. For who else could be so patient with such wretched tenants? When the, when the leaders spoke in, in verse 41, they showed that even they wouldn't put up with people like themselves. The landowner shows his patience by continually giving the tenants opportunities to do the right thing. And the patience of the landowner is something that, that typifies God's patience in this world. The servants are, are a bit like the, the prophets in the Old Testament. Uh, some were, were beaten, some were murdered, some were stoned. That's how those, those prophets were treated as we look uh, through the Bible. And yet, God patiently waited, giving his people, and in particular, the leaders of his people, opportunities to do the right thing. 
Time after time, after time, after time. They failed him. Uh, so what did God do? He, he sent his son. Perhaps they would respect him, the rightful heir to this world. But that wouldn't stop those wretches from doing that wretched thing. Notice that in the parable, Jesus is, is telling the leaders of the ultimate rejection that awaited him, his, his death at the hands of these people. The patience of God is, is something we see so clearly in these verses. And it's something that you and I and all those around us continue to experience. God patiently waiting for his people to become more and more like his son, holy and blameless before him. Waiting for us to, to flee from sin and to bear fruit in our lives. Patiently waiting for the, the fruit to lead others to turn from their wicked ways and respond to him in faith. Our God is a patient, long-suffering God. Uh, a parent who endures the hardship of a rebellious child, uh, perhaps that, that image gives us the smallest glimpse of, of what God endures with us. So rebellious are we towards him. So God's provision and, and God's patience need to be seen in a, in a parable like this. Uh, and the reason both of those things is that both of those things help us better appreciate the, the final and, and the most important thing in the parable. And that is that God is just. He is a God of justice. Uh, the Pharisees and the chief priests, they, they've, they mistake God's provision and, and patience as God's approval. Like many in this world, they don't recognize that God is just, but how wrong they are. The leaders who should be this kind of open gateway uh, drawing people into God's kingdom. They're about to have everything stripped away. Jesus shows them how, how entitled they've become, how they've failed to do what was required of them by God. God has, has come to collect, and, and time and time again, there is no fruit in sight. And now they reject his son. And as we know, they, they will go on to reject him even further in just a few days. They will crucify the son of God, but he will become the capstone, the, the pinnacle, the one raised up by God, the one to behold, the one who God provides. Uh, God is the provider, God is patient, but God is also a God who is just and a God who won't let sin go unpunished. Uh, Proverbs 21.15 tells us, When justice is done, it brings joy to the righteous, but terror to the evildoers. And Jesus says, justice is coming. Our response to him is, is the difference between joy and terror. Trusting him brings us the joy of the righteous. Uh, and I think that's the reason Jesus refers to himself as the capstone. Uh, we heard a, a few weeks ago that Jesus predicted the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. And, and he'll do it again in, in chapter 26. And what I think he's doing, he, he's saying the temple stones are, are going to eventually lie in ruin. But I am the everlasting stone, the, the capstone. The new temple, I am the way to God if you'll come to me. But if you reject me, if you stumble over me, if you stop turning to me, you will end up shattered to pieces, crushed as my judgment falls upon you. God's justice, it's either good news for us or it's the worst possible news for us. Uh, and maybe you're someone who, who needs this warning because you're, you're investing your, your time, your, your money, your energy, purely on, on protecting things in this life, while slowly shutting Jesus out, moving further away from him. 
I hope you see here how quickly it can all be stripped away. And this is, this is really something we, we cannot avoid as we come to the end of Matthew's Gospel and as things intensify. We, we see that God will act justly. He is patient for a time. He, he is so patient with you and I, those of us who, who would call ourselves Christians. We know firsthand God's continued patience and care for us. But let us not forget God's justice because one day Jesus will come to collect. Uh, and if we've been treating God like these tenants have, we're in for a, a very rude awakening. See, this parable shows us that the leadership of, of the religious authorities in Israel, it's being taken away from them, given to people who will bear fruit. That is the, the sting of the parable that we can't miss. And if we're taking the provision and, and the patience of God for granted, if we're failing to trust Jesus, then it's likely we won't be bearing fruit. And we might just find ourselves on the outside of God's kingdom, uh, looking in. There is really no, no worse place to be. So what, what type of tenant are you? In God's world, how are you treating the Lord Jesus? The one who God has spoken through? Are you someone set on, on honouring him and bearing fruit with what you have been given? Is trusting Jesus leading you to, to love, to joy, uh, to patience, to kindness in your life? Is it leading you to, to blessing others with the things that you have been blessed with? Uh, I take it most of us here have, have food and shelter. Uh, are we using those things as, as opportunities to grow the kingdom of God, showing hospitality to others? Is, is trusting Jesus leading you to pray for others? Uh, when, when's the last time you, you paused to, to pray for non-believers who you know? Praying for opportunities to, to share the good news about Jesus with them. See, these are just some of the fruits of a life transformed by the gospel of Jesus. Is yours a, a life like that? I mentioned Ben uh, Murdoch Masilla earlier, the, the league player, and we're all like him in some ways, aren't we? We're, we're over the trial line, we we see God's kingdom within reach. But we're also unlike him because he didn't see Anthony Minicello flying in from the side uh, and the ball got stripped away from him. See, we, on the other hand, we see the dangers of, of rejecting Jesus, failing to bear fruit, testing God by, by taking for granted his provision and his patience. The Pharisees, they, they still had a way out, but when confronted, we see what they did at the end there. They rejected Jesus again. Now in God's kindness, he offers us a way to avoid the kingdom being stripped away from us. Uh, and I pray that we would see and trust Jesus who laid down his life for us and that we would live fruitful lives worthy of our patient God who, who provides all we need to do that. Amen.